Okay, so starting in verse 8, um, so more than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Lord, or Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung. Remember, we're talking about all the things that Paul had on his resume that as from human standards or even from a Jewish standpoint would have made him... <coughs> somebody to look up to, and he's saying all of those things, I regard them as dung, um, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of, of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. And then here's where we're picking up this week. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, and to be like him in death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so there's quite a bit in verses 10 and 11, that last bit that I read. There's quite a bit packed in there. And I wanted to go through and look at some of the language because things like somehow to attain... It has connotations in English that are not there in the Greek. And so we're going to start here with just these verses. And I have them written on the board because they wouldn't fit on every slide, even though I like to have them on all the slides, but they wouldn't fit. So they're up here on the board. Um, And we're going to start with this word here, to know. Because in English, that just generally means factual knowledge. And so when we're looking at it in the Greek, the Greek word for to know is actually very different. And it has a lot of different connotations that we just don't have and really can't be expressed in a translation like this unless you have a giant footnote. Um, And there we go. And so this word here, it does mean to know, but the particular usage in this verse is what we consider completed action. So what we're not talking about is continuously gaining knowledge. So what Paul is not saying is, I want to continuously learn about Christ. That's not what he's saying. Even though in English, we might think that's what's going on. Okay, so we're not talking about learning about him. We're not talking about gaining new insights. He is saying this knowledge is completed, meaning it's referring specifically to final knowledge at the resurrection of the dead. So Paul here is looking forward. So we're not talking about sanctification like we have been. We're not talking about growing in our faith. We are talking looking forward towards the knowledge of Christ that we are going to have as Christians when it comes time for resurrection. So when we join back with Christ. So we're looking forward into the future here. And again, it's not referring to that lifetime Christianity thing. So it's a different usage of the word to know. So let's dig into the word again. So there's three There's more than three. There's a lot of definitions, but these are the three main definitions of this word to know. The first one is to arrive at knowledge of something or somebody, okay? The second one is to acquire information, to learn of or to find out. So this would be like sitting in a class and learning things. Um, And then the third one is to grasp the significance. So you know something for its significance, not for its factual knowledge. Now, The examples that I have up here on the PowerPoint for the verses, I want to actually start with number two, the acquiring information, because that's actually the one that's not being used here. Um, But the verse example that I have here is in Colossians, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances. So what's going on here is Paul is sending somebody just so that they can gain information. It's the same word, but it's a totally different use. So this one would not be the one that we're dealing with here. And we, we get that based on that completed, the form of the word that's in there. The other two options, really either one could work, really here. Um, it could be to arrive at knowledge of something. 
the only reason I lean away from this and actually lean more towards understanding the significance is because in the text they're not adding information. If Paul were going to add information, he would have added information. And in the forthcoming verses, he's not adding any new information. And so for me, I tend to lean this way, that what Paul is saying here is that he wants to know Christ, meaning he wants to, at that point in the future, understand the full significance of all the things that are going on. And so we're understanding not just information, but why it's important. Okay? That makes sense? Any questions? Any thoughts? Is it like a more intimate knowing? It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, I think of it more as like application of knowledge. So you can know something, but you don't really know it until you apply it and you live it and it becomes part of, of you. So that's, that's more the sense of it. Yeah. Anything else? No. Um, now, this word here to experience, um, it's not there. Like in, in Greek, that's actually not there. That, that word, there is no Greek word there. What's going on is they're carrying this word to know further into this next clause. The problem is, in English, that would be confusing. To know him, to know the power of his resurrection, it would be repetitive and it may be confusing. And so what the translators here, it looks like they're trying to do is explain this idea of knowledge coming to this full knowledge. They're trying to get at that definition by using the word experience. And so we're carrying forward this Greek word to know And so, again, we're faced with, are we adding additional things, or are we getting a fuller explanation of Christ? And so, again, I'm going to land here on this second one, but I want to dig in to why, like, specifically, because as we are Christians, we do learn things, right? We do learn more, and that's part of the point. So why is it that Paul is speaking specifically about grasping a fuller knowledge of Christ as opposed to factual knowledge? So I kind of wanted to dig into that. A little bit more um, and that part of that is the emphasis is placed back on Christ and not on us and our walk so all of this pushes things back to Christ and focuses back on him and reaching that knowledge of him any questions any thoughts so the ESV takes out experience it just says Does my it? aim is to know him and the power of resurrection so yes. I was thinking so my aim is to know him mm-hmm. and know mm-hmm. the power of the resurrection so yeah. I know both yes yep um, so when we break this down, there, there's quite a bit that goes into breaking it down. And we're not going to go into like detail on all of these. But um, this goes back to a couple of weeks ago when I said when we're doing interpretation, it's good to look at the language, it's good to look at the history, and to look at the theology, and to look at how all of those things coming together build up our interpretation, trying to get back to what it is that Paul was trying to tell his audience. Um, and so the first one that I wanted to talk about was the grammar. I know it's not everybody's favorite thing, but to talk about the grammar. Um, and so we have to know him. So this is where we start here. And I have it up, written up here. So um, to know him, this is the phrase here. And the reason that I have it broken up this way, these brackets, is because of these two words right here. These mean both and. Now, it's the same word. You can see it's the same like same letters and everything. But in Greek, these words can mean both and. It can mean either or. He's not contrasting, so it's both and. So what we're doing here is we're knowing the power of his resurrection and the sharing in his suffering. And so what we're doing here is we're bringing in resurrection and suffering together as part of this knowledge to explain what this knowledge is. And so it links them together in a way that they explain each other and they go together beyond just 
knowing the fact that Christians are going to suffer, right? Everybody knows, we've read the verses, everybody knows Christians are going to suffer. But what does that have to do with gaining a fuller knowledge of who Christ is? Um, now, these words here, this is to know power. So we're, that word, there's no difference. It's just power, like it is in English. So that word actually carries through, so don't need more. But this word here, it can mean fellowship, share in, participation. The translation has share in. I translate it in a later slide as participation in. That's just more the sense that I get from that word. And so the aim is to know him, both experiencing or both the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering. So that's so it's two together coming together in knowing him. And then these are just the words for resurrection and suffering. It can also mean affliction. Either one works. I know we've talked about that recently in church, how in service, how we share in suffering with Christ. Um, And so the point is these two things. They go together as a pair. And this is actually important for when we get down here because some translations put being like him in death as part of a list and kind of make this as a list. But when we get down to this verse, that kind of summarizes as opposed to being this whole long list of things. Because then it ends up being a list of things we're supposed to know about God as opposed to sharing in this resurrection and sharing in the suffering. Any questions on that? Any need to go back? Okay. Um, So I know this is a lot. I tried to get it all to come on the slide at different times and it just was not working earlier today. So I wanted to break down power of resurrection because that phrase has been argued about quite a bit. What does it mean, the power of his resurrection? Does it mean the power that resurrected him? Does it mean the power that now is to Christians, meaning the Holy Spirit? What exactly is power? What exactly are we talking about? Um, And so what power specifically are we talking about? So there are different options. One is the Holy Spirit to believers. So at the resurrection and after Christ's ascension, then of course we know the Holy Spirit came. And so that had to happen. Christ's death had to happen in order for that to occur, in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that is in mind here. Another option is that the resurrection changed the way that humankind understood salvation. Remember, prior to, we had that work-based, well, the law system for the Jews, always looking forward to Christ coming, and now Christ is actually here. And so the entire salvation kind of system is different. It's just a different structure. Um, And I have up here the pre-resurrection. So the Jews were waiting and looking forward to Christ, whereas now we have Christ. And we are in this state of we have salvation, we have Christ, but we're also waiting for the fullness of salvation. And so we have this kind of weird back and forth where the Jews were always looking forward, always looking forward. Well, now we have it, we're experiencing it, we're living it, but there's also something that we have yet to experience, which is our union with Christ in the end. So we're in this different position within it's called salvific history within the course of salvation, how God interacts with his people. And then, of course, the future resurrection of believers. So all of these things can be in mind when we talk about the power of the resurrection. All of these things can kind of be on our minds as we're talking about what they mean for us and how we know Christ better, how we get to that more intimate understanding of who Christ is, what he did, and the work that he did, and how that comes back and impacts our lives. The second part here for participation in suffering, we all know, we said that Christians are going to suffer. The Bible tells us over and over again we're going to suffer in different ways. It records different ways. Um, but what does it mean that we will suffer with Christ? Because clearly none of us were there to suffer in the same way. 
And at least here in our setting, we're not going to suffer in that same way, even just from a physical sense, we're not going to have that. So what, what does that mean? So I have a few verses that I thought really brought that kind of picture in. Um, so 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So in mind here is persecution. And then in 1 Peter 5.10, and after, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. And so suffering is just a part of that Christian walk. And it's going to manifest clearly in different ways. Everybody has something different. But it is a part of that. It's this last point here, the link to power. Because of that both and, they are linked grammatically. And so we have to think, what do they have to do with each other? Why is the power of resurrection linked with suffering? Um, And so why would that be linked? They are unique concepts, but they are related. So what do y'all think? What do you think about the relationship? Why might Paul have linked resurrection, not just Christ's resurrection, but all that that entailed, the giving of the Holy Spirit, our future with Christ, with this idea of earthly suffering and how we're suffering for Christ. What connections do y'all see? We're resurrected into a, a new life. We become aliens. Mm-hmm. And aliens typically, if you're not in the country of your own, you're going to be at odds mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Any other thoughts? What came to my mind was that we are only experiencing suffering, which we think of as a bad thing, right? But we are only experiencing suffering because of the sacrifice that Christ made. And so while it's not something anybody wants to experience, it is in itself part of the outcome of that sacrifice. And so... I'm going to hesitate to say the word blessing because nobody likes the idea of suffering being a blessing, but we are only experiencing that because of what is coming for the future, coming in the future, because of that salvation that we have. And so they are linked. And in order for that to go together, you have to know Christ. You have to come to that fuller knowledge of Christ. So any other thoughts before we move on? I think the suffering that Paul mentioned here is that he lost everything mm-hmm. for Christ. Mm-hmm. So we should expect no different. Mm-hmm. That, um, taking a stance for Christ is going to require us to lose mm-hmm. maybe relationships, pleasures, mm-hmm. comfort, mm-hmm. Um, things that we put um, hope in. Yeah. We can't cling to those. So that's going to hurt, but it's a, it's a good hurt. Yeah. Because it means fellowship with Christ. Yeah. In, that, in absence of suffering, it, it, our, our growth is going to be stunted, right? I mean, if you look back on your spiritual walk, some of the darkest times, some of the times where you leaned on Christ the most and you grew the most in your faith um, because you had nothing <coughs> to rely on, right? You stopped looking at yourself to rely on. Yeah. And so that's just part of his process mm-hmm. um, in, our, in our walk to make us more Christ-like because we will have to mm-hmm. have suffering, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. No different than how a diamond's made or gold, right? That's mm-hmm. melted, right? To get rid of the impurities. Mm-hmm. We will fool ourselves to think we're getting rid of our own impurities. Sometimes God has to really challenge us or put us in situations that we have to face things that maybe we would not have faced in absence yeah. of that challenge. Yeah. Well, what better way to, to you know, as far as an identity standpoint, you know, 
to identify with Christ, your yeah. identity in Christ. Experiencing the same thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. You can't forget that he felt these same emotions. He just didn't act the way that I do or where any of us here do. But he felt the same pain and hurt and stress and struggles, right? And frustrations. Yeah. And that's comforting. Yeah. To know that you know we're praying to a God who knows what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Right? Is the suffering both external and internal? Doesn't specify. Because you have a persecution that's mm-hmm. external. Yeah. Suffering would be internal, where we're denying ourselves, denying the flesh. Yeah. Well, and as mentioned, you know, when you're giving up things for Christ, when you're giving up things to try and be more like him, that's not a comfortable process. It's not, it's not fun. It's not what we want to give those things up and to deny ourselves so that we can be like him. So either way, it's not, it's not something that we, without Christ, would embrace of ourselves. I want to put the relationship in here with death. Mm-hmm. Christ's biggest suffering was separation from God on the cross. Mm-hmm. Will we have that moment, even though we're Christians, will there be a moment that when we die, there'll be us blank <coughs> separation for a moment? I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I have no idea. Devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have the little death to sin. Huh? We have the little deaths to sin. We got to sin, yeah. We die We've got to die. We got to, we got to have that final death into sin. And I wonder if it's related to that. Because that was his biggest suffering. Not that he sinned, he carried the weight of ours. Christ experienced the wrath of God. Yeah. He never experienced no. the wrath of God. I understand that. But there's still his greatest suffering on here was his separation from God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. See, he was separated from him for a blink of a, for a moment. He experienced the he experienced, wrath that we yeah. deserved. But we will not experience that. But I just wonder if we're going to, you know, if we're going, if there's going to be that momentarily separation on our part. I don't know. I just, you know, it's just a devil's advocate. I think from a from a devil's advocate to consider, it's good to consider so that we can bring in that theology to say, is that is that a plausible meaning for this? Because that is part of when we're going through and looking at the theology. Is that something that fits within the orthodoxy of what the doctrines of our Bible say? Is that part of it? And I would agree with what Danny's saying that because Christ paid for that for us, he did that separation part that we don't have to. But there's still a lot of almost wordplay in here with the words like suffering and death because even though Christ is the one who died for us and died in our stead, you know, there's some wordplay there where we have to die to sin. Well, we don't actually physically die in sin, in the way that Christ died for our sins. So there's some wordplay going on in here. Um, but I do think it's good to consider devil's advocate to make sure that we can check and make sure we have the understanding going through that it stands up. So that is something that a lot of scholars will say, this can't mean this because of these other verses. I didn't think of that. Otherwise, I would have put, I didn't think of it, so I would have put I'm verses just, in. But a little post-trib, post-trib out the word. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation in there. I was, just kind of, I was just thinking of Christ's biggest suffering here on the earth, you know. That was it. And I think, I mean, my, the, what comes to my mind first is I'm so glad I don't have to experience that particular aspect of Christ's suffering. So thankful that in knowing Christ, that's not something, that's never a suffering that 
we're going to have to experience. You know, we can be persecuted, we can die to ourselves, we can lose all of those things, but at least that is something that we can rest the knowledge that Christ did that part for us. And so in adding to our knowledge, I think that helps come to a better understanding of the extent of the sacrifice that Christ made, something that we will never have to do. So any other thoughts before we move on? So like I said, there wasn't going to be a slide for each one because for the literature and for the context, there really wasn't that much. But I wanted to mention just a couple of things in interpreting exactly what it is. Like, what is Paul trying to get us to understand here in this? What is he trying for us to understand about knowing Christ? Um, So for the literature part, this again is just the text itself. When we say literature, we just mean the text. So what is Paul saying? There's no like theology lesson or grant or any kind of additional information that comes after this. He kind of goes into a different topic. Um, and so there's no new information. So as far as the literature is concerned, that's why I have it with that second option that this is not informational. This is not Paul giving them information like he does in Romans or even explaining information like he does in Galatians or in other books. This is adding to factual knowledge so that they can expand kind of that, I keep going back to what you said, the, um, the intimate knowledge of him, kind of going back to that concept. Um, and then for context, remember, we're going back to the whole purpose of the letter is encouragement. He is encouraging the Philippians. And so perhaps there's something that they needed encouragement in this. And then there was strife within the leadership, which would have been hard for any church, especially a new church at that time. And so in this encouragement, it's like get to know Christ, understand the fullness of this, really take this information that you know and like have it sink in, understand it, live it. And then moving forward with that. So that, that's why I landed on that option as opposed to him just saying, you need to learn about Christ. You need to go to Bible study and learn about Christ. Yes, you do. But you also really need to like get that full understanding and like really meditate on the things so that you can get that fuller knowledge moving forward. Any other thoughts before? Oh, I have a whole other thing. I have a whole other thing. So... The phrase that I have is, so what is it about Christ that Paul wants us? And I put the Greek word on there because, again, the English word just doesn't quite, doesn't quite get it. That one is gnosko. Gnosko. So I have just a couple. And this is, this, <laughs> I know, when I read Greek to my class at school, they're like, I don't know. I'm like, it's that word. And I read it, and they're like, I don't know. I'm like, the one that starts with an, it looks like an A. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, it's the A sound. <laughs> Um, so these are just what I pulled from it. Just just thinking back on what is it that I think after reading through all this stuff, getting into all these details, what do I think that it is that Paul wants his audience and so us to know? So the importance of the resurrection. So again, not just the fact that he was raised from the dead, because a lot of people like believe that he was raised from the dead, but like what does that mean Theo- theologically? What does it mean for us that he was raised from the dead? Um, what the resurrection accomplished that overcoming of sin, because that resurrection, we talk so often about dying on the cross, and yes, absolutely, but the resurrection was a key part of that as well. And at least for me growing up, that was the part we, we just kind of, it's like, and he died, and he died, oh yeah, and he rose. And it's, it's like, no, that is, like, that, that, that's, the, that's the big part, like, we need to talk about that part. And so for me, that stood out. 
Um, and then how this whole death and resurrection fits in in the whole timeline of God interacting with his people. Going back from the Old Testament and the way that they viewed their relationship with God and now how we have things different and that fuller knowledge that we have compared to where the Old Testament was and the, the Jews were. The reality of suffering and it's modeled after Christ. And so like we were talking about, he's experienced everything, all of the sufferings, all of the things. And so we can take comfort in that, but it also means that we can turn to his word for guidance in all of that. I hear so often from my students, the Bible doesn't talk about this. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. You just have to study it to learn where to look for those things. Um, and then the last thing was that relationship between suffering and salvation and having that salvation, it kind of comes together with suffering. So that's what I took from it. Did anybody else have any other thoughts before we move on to our next little bracket? Any other thoughts on this one? Yeah. I like suffering. Yeah. Certainly Paul and his readers would have understood suffering and persecution, mm -hmm. but today, mm -hmm. do, I mean, we talked about <clears throat> discomforts, mm -hmm. those kind of things. Is that, I mean, it certainly pales in comparison to mm -hmm. what Paul and his readers were, were experiencing. Mm -hmm. But do you think that we really, I mean, I don't, I, do we really suffer uh, today? Some places, some countries, yeah, yeah, but, but here in our culture, here where we are today. I think there are some mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. I have, we have. A family that's suffering right now mm -hmm. a lot with sickness mm -hmm. and so I think this pertains to a lot mm -hmm. their faith right now is really being tested they're standing strong but they are mm -hmm. being tested and so many times we've seen people mm -hmm. that this was the breaking mm -hmm. the separation mm -hmm. where yeah this is not the God that I mm -hmm. want to worship for right I think for my part true yeah. There are some of us, the majority of us, mm -hmm. are not suffering. Right. Like suffering like Paul's going through. But there yeah. are people that are suffering. Yeah. And there's suffering for faith, too. I mean, we just don't see it necessarily as much here. Yeah. But you go to. Yeah, that's what I said. The other certainly. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. But yeah, I mean, in, in our, our, our Americanized. Right. right. In our culture yeah. here. Mm hmm. Everybody. We don't really. Yeah. I think everybody has their yes. moments of great suffering. Yeah. I remember growing up, my, I remember my mom and dad, everything was just always seemed to be so hunky-dory all the time. We never heard of bad things happening until my mother got so sick. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst thing. Oh, oh, my aunt got hit by a truck and then things started to happen and th there was mm -hmm. great suffering in the family then. Mm -hmm. and, um, but is that suffering or is that the sin that's in the world? Right, and that's mm -hmm. so the differentiation between yeah. the two. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, we can intermingle those a little okay. bit, right? And is that mm -hmm. because they were Christians that this happened to them, or is it just, mm -hmm. you know, just part of what happens? Born across the just, water. It's yeah. what happens, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think if we're not in control of all we got, yeah. you're absolutely right. Guided very different. Guided yes. Testing. Suffering can look very different. It can. I mean, we, we can't. I don't think that we can relate to no, what's happening. No, we can't. Mm -mm. No. The suffering. I think there is suffering, but it just looks suffering different. Looks different. Suffering is different. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's out of your control. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you a, a good example of it. Her sister 
when their oldest boy got a brain tumor. You want to go through some suffering, oh, yeah. no yeah. doubt. And trying to find the right doctors in the right mm -hmm. place and trying to find a cure and, and having to go through all the experiences that they went through. Now, they suffered. They suffered for, what, three years yeah. with it? From age, what, what is it, about six or seven? Their faith got my sister's. And their faith, their faith is faith. like on yeah. the mountain compared yeah. to mine. I mean, really. I mean, they, because they went through the trials of fire. Yeah. And, and they, they are so strong in everything they do now. It's, got, it's all about God and everything. Mm -hmm. And whatever they taught and preach, and mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, it can be in time so there are times that yeah. you go through yeah. stuff like that, and it is a great, great suffering that you come out, like you said, you come out, mm -hmm. you're tested, and you come out through that fire, just like, you know, never can easily call Daniel out of that furnace for, you know. Yeah. Came out. That was a trial. Jesus chose to fellowship or communion with mm -hmm. the people who were suffering yeah. from the slavery mm -hmm. of sins. Mm -hmm. He chose to spend his time with lepers and mm -hmm. people that the Pharisees had sterilized themselves from. And yeah. we as Christians, Americans, are very good at sterilizing ourselves from suffering. Mm -hmm. yes, and yeah. so I don't think this can be a very convicting passage for all of us to ask, like, yeah. if I'm not experiencing suffering or I'm not familiar with people who are suffering, mm -hmm. should I be? Yeah. And how, how should I right. meet, meet these people? If I'm not, then what? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it says here, um, you know, you started on the, I have, I have a strange version tonight because this is like the pull off the shelf quarterly, but um, in verse 10, mine says, as a result, I can really know. So what, what is it as a result of? I count everything worthless. It's all garbage. And because of that, mm -hmm. I can know Christ. Mm -hmm. So I cannot know Christ fully mm -hmm. unless I'm willing to give up everything. Yeah. You know, am I willing to sell my house if God asked me to and move to the poorest area of the city? Like mm -hmm. some of this stuff is like scary for our American life. But yeah. you know, I'm I'm not gonna really know Christ unless I I count it all as garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I think all Christians from every time period Every place in the world has one common enemy, and that's Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, and some places that looks different in that battle with Satan than it does somewhere else. Yeah. And probably complacency is probably Satan's greatest mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at, um, you know, at, at suffering, you know, where, where are we in our walk? Mm -hmm. uh, why is it different? Why? Yeah. Well, comfort too, right? Mm -hmm. Comfort is a can be a huge idol, mm -hmm. you know. Especially for me, you want to be comfortable, and I'd be uncomfortable, right? And just like Mark and Whitney, they're uncomfortable on a daily on a daily basis um, on where they live, from here in Suffolk in a comfortable life to that yeah. right? different different world. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I like what you said, that every, every generation of Christianity has experienced sufferings. Ours definitely isn't the same as what Paul is immediately referencing here. Um, and I think it's easy to try and compare between sufferings, like, oh, his suffering was worse. Oh, this person's suffering is worse. Oh, this. But I think it's very situational because, like you said, the things that are in our context are what is attacked for us. So for us, 
probably here in American Christianity, it's comfort. It's not wanting to put in effort for doing things. And so that is not something that the first century church had to face. And yet they suffered, and yet we do. So it's just it's just a different way, I think, of looking at it. Um, I think some of them I mean, lived very prosperously. Yeah, yeah. I think they did have to chase a lot of the same I just looked at it more like sharing suffering. Well, you know, Christ suffered because he was doing things on behalf of God. Mm-hmm. He was God. So, you know, he suffered for, for who he was. And yeah. so it's because of that. So I'm looking at it more of like faith-wise. Yeah. It's, you know, when I look at that, like are you suffering at all for your, for your, for your faith? For your faith, and yeah. In our country, not necessarily. Yeah. So. Paul's letters would not have been just in prison would not have been as impactful if he's on a mountaintop up in some house. Everything is great. That's right? true. I mean, yeah. our, our greatest testimonies, the greatest testimonies of people is amidst the most difficult. Mm-hmm. Paul says, imitate me. Right. Mm-hmm. Imitate me. Right. You know, and, and he certainly exemplified about yeah. how he mm-hmm. endured uh-huh. jail and all the things that he went through. Yeah. So maybe it is convicting in that because we are not experiencing just it's not a normal experience for us, but it can be convicting of why am I not suffering? Why am I so comfortable? We're all praying for suffering. We're all, so, so instead of praying for patience, which we always warned not to do, pray for suffering to test your faith. Because, not yeah. It's no, it's not temporary. permanent. Yeah. Even if it lasts your whole life, like it's still, it's temporary. Yeah. It's good. This is all a healthy theologic discussion because I think we give a false perception Christian walk is a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Greg's right. If we're, if we're not willing to be in fellowship with our fellow Christians in their times of grief and suffering, mm-hmm. then our, our faith is shallow and we, we will at risk putting people off to um, mm-hmm. the truth of what Christianity really is. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. good that we're talking about this discussion and not avoiding the topic, which I think I'm, I have a tendency to do and sugarcoat it. That's one of the biggest complaints I hear. So I, I teach teenagers. One of the biggest complaints that I hear is that they say that when they look at adults in church they think the adults have everything together there's nothing wrong everything's perfect and that is one of their biggest complaints is because from their perspective like everything in their world is not perfect and they don't understand how we can talk about suffering but then they're not seeing the working through of this stuff that's one of the biggest complaints I get from teenagers is I don't get it I don't see it I don't see these things being lived out that's throwing that out there. And that's one of the biggest things I hear from them. They, they're not having a relationship with these people. True. Very true. You need to know who you're talking about. Very true. Because, yes, we, we put on a good yeah. facade when we come to church. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts before we talk about death? Because that's the next one. <laughs> We're talking about death next. <laughs> okay. So part of this, so again, we have this to experience, so power of resurrection and then suffering and then to be like him in death. Clearly, we're not going to die the same way, like, or at least most likely we're not going to die in the same way that Christ did. So that's not what we're talking about. But so what, what does it mean? So this idea of being like him in death is, goes along with this idea of knowing. So grammatically, those two things are, are they, they're, they're linked. They go together. So we are knowing or we're trying to know and we are trying to be like him in death. Those things go together. 
And so part of that is we hear the phrase all the time, become dead to sin, continually strive to put that sin nature to death. So we use the term death when we're talking about sin and how that looks in our lives. Um, but what does it mean like to be dead to sin? How do we flush that out where it's not just using the metaphor of death? Because clearly we're not like, you know, taking sin and like going and killing it. Like that's not how that works. So what, what does that mean to y'all when you hear to be dead to sin? And then how does that look? How should that look in our lives? We should be putting our sin to death, which sounds like I'm repeating what you said there, but we can take it the other way. We, we should be putting it to death by repentance and um, not doing those things again, being able to identify them, mm-hmm. put them to death in our walk. We're never going to be, you know, the whole point is to look like Christ. Yeah. So we're never going to be fully there until. Yeah. But so those things are dead because they cease to be or should cease to be a big part of our lives. So they are dead in that way. Yeah. And it's a lifestyle. Yes. Sanctification. Yeah. Process the refinement. Yeah. Filling those layers away. And they won't all be filled away until we're with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Romans um, 6, Paul uses the language of slavery. We mm-hmm. should no longer be slaves to sin. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You mm-hmm. have those image of you know heavy shackles being mm-hmm. laid down. Um, certainly, since the, our sinful nature, we still struggle with, but our desire should be to honor God. So mm-hmm. Sin should matter to us mm-hmm. after we've died to it. And do we see sin like that? Do we see do we see our own sin as shackled and impeding us in living out the life that Christ wants us to live? Mm-hmm. Or do we just look at it like, oh, it's just a little pebble in my pocket? It's right. Not that. Yeah. I like how you said that. I like how you said that. Is it? Do we see it as what's impeding us from getting closer to Christ? Because I don't think, like, I don't know if I've ever looked at it in exactly that way. Because we always think of, you know, we need to put our sin nature to death. We need to sacrifice our human, like, all these desires, these comforts. And so it's almost always phrased in a negative way. But if we think of it in a positive way, like, I'm not doing this because... I want to be close to God because that is the better option. It's a much more positive um, and realistic way to look at that. Yeah. And what do we do with dead people? We bury them. We put a headstone up with their pigs on, right? (laughs) Man, that's... So so how do we we ensure, even though we're dead to sin, we don't forget to sin, right? Because we use it later on. So just Mm -hmm. like... We have headstones for people that have died. We should also have a headstone for our sin, for it to be like, hey, look, this is where I was. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of like you, and I've been there, done that, got that T-shirt. Now it's on my headstone. Yeah. Well, invariably, God's going to put somebody in your life that has the same struggle, the same sin, and you still may not be right where you need to be, but you are moving towards that sanctification process. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's why a lot of us in the small groups are within the same around age groups, not mm-hmm. because we have to have it that way. There's benefits in, in, in both, but usually because you're mm-hmm. going through some of the same things yeah. in life, and life changes. Yeah. I think another part of being dead to sin is not letting it carry any shame, mm-hmm. not letting it be your rule, mm-hmm. and knowing that Christ is your redeemer, so yeah. you don't have to be burdened with it anymore. We don't talk about shame a lot. Yeah, we don't talk about. Yeah, we don't talk about that. I wrote a book 
in seminary about shame and the way that shame is used in different cultures. And it blew my mind because I had never considered the role that even not like explicitly expressed shame, but how much of a role that played in my life. And I read this book and I was like, oh my goodness, how much am I holding on to because of my internal shame? And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that means I'm not really, it's not really dead if I'm still letting that control me, even if the thing itself isn't controlling me, but the shame of the thing is controlling me. It's not really gone at that point because I'm still acting as if it's a real thing. I like that you brought that up. We don't talk about that enough yeah. in general. Shame can also keep like us from really confessing our sins first to Christ and then to a brother or a sister yeah. who can help us in that walk and share that burden. Yeah. Right? Because we're shameful. We want to put on that front. Yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've been a Christian a long time. There's no way I'd be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I promise the next slide. I mean, we're already at death. It's not going to get any... <laughs> it's not going to get any worse. <laughs> it's not. We're already at death, so... Any other thoughts before we move to the next, the next slide? The, uh, the last slide, actually, before we just go into discussion as small groups. Okay. So the last bit of this, what seems like a very long section, is, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I wanted to dig into this word somehow. Because that is the word in Greek. That is the word. But it gives this idea maybe of, like, Paul doesn't understand. And that's definitely not what's going on. Because clearly Paul understands what, what he's talking about. So that's not what's going on. So what the commentaries are saying, kind of bringing this all together, is what we can take from this is it's actually a sign of humility. Because Paul is understanding and acknowledging that it's not him. It's not him that's doing any of this. It's not him that's bringing himself closer to Christ. It's not him that's doing the salvation. This is all Christ. And so it's almost like wonder at, I can't believe it worked that way, but it did. But clearly he believed it worked that way. So it's almost like in wonder. So it's not a doubt, but it's understanding his own inabilities and then saying somehow that worked. Well, we we know that's God, but it's just all that sense of wonder at, him and looking at what Christ has done. Um, and then other translations that um, were in, actually translations that I don't use often, but I thought they expressed it almost better, is in hope of, or if I dare to hope for it, or hoping that. And that brought back to my mind, I think it's in Hebrews where it's talking about, you know, faith is the thing that we hope for. It's like this idea of absolute hope that comes with this whole process. And we get that from Christ. And so that's more of what's going on here with this word. I don't know if that stood out to anybody else, but when I read it, I was like, I have to see exactly what is with that word to make sure that, like, I have it clear because that was something that... Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, however, yes. This last one, to attain, it can also mean to arrive or to reach. And so we still have this idea, we talked a couple of slides, about, yes, we are saved, but there's also something in the future that we're looking forward to. This We're already here, but we're not quite yet there. And so there's this, this juxtaposition within our salvation of, yes, we are saved, but we will also be saved in the future. And so this further supports that of, yes, Christ worked it out for us, but we're not there yet, but we still have that hope in the process that Christ is going to work that out for us. 
any thoughts? Because the next set, the next two slides are just discussion. I have a couple of questions, discussion questions, just about this verse and kind of we've talked about a lot of it, but just kind of working on and then reading the rest of the the passage, which I think most people are familiar with. It's we're talking about running the race, and so people are more familiar with with that section. Um, so the questions, and these are more kind of reflections since we did so much technical like talking. This is more reflections. So I was thinking breaking up into groups and then going over. So how well do you know do you know Jesus? So you're gonna get real personal real fast with this group if y'all are open to have those kinds of conversations. Um, and how do we measure this? How do we know? How do we know where we are? How do we know where we stand? Um, how should it be measured versus how do we measure? Because those are two different things because the way we measure it may not be the way that we should measure it. Um, and then if you want to know him better, what are some ways to do that? So those are the four questions that I thought of after kind of having this conversation about um, reaching that full knowledge of Christ.